Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful B2B SaaS and agency owners and executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Today, I'm joined by Dave Hansen. Welcome, Dave. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Corey. I appreciate it. I'm super excited for the conversation that we're about to have. Uh, but first, would you mind introducing yourself to those listeners who may not be familiar with you and your background? Yeah, of course. Happy to. I'm currently the the um, head of, uh, well, I'm the president of Client Tether. We're a sales automation CRM platform that uh, about four, four and a half years ago went vertical. So uh, uh, excited to be on the show and kind of talk a little bit about the journey. But uh, you know, my background has been in, in sales. I, my first sales job was I was self-employed at age five. Snuck out of the house and was trying to earn money for baseball cards, but it's been you know it's a long story. Maybe we revisit that later. It's pretty funny, but I just I started uh, into that world and kind of stayed. You know, software, ed tech, uh, translation services. I've led a lot of organizations. I've started companies, uh, and and so I've I've just been in this world of business for a long time. I'm a passionate uh, baseball guy. Just retired as a high school baseball coach. After my wow. last season, last last spring, <clears throat> I don't know how I squeezed that in with running a company, but you, know, you, do, you do what you got to do. But I, you know, I love, love that kind of stuff. Dad of four kids, been married 20 years in a couple of months. So just uh, life is treating me very well. Wow. Chloe. What a full, full life. Could you share <clears throat> a little bit more about what Client Tether does today and, and, and who do you <clears throat> serve? Yeah, of course. Uh, so Client Tether is a, a, you know, there are lots of CRMs out there, right? But we're, we're a CRM that has sales automation, omni-channel communication built into it. And it was designed specifically for service-oriented industries. We found there, there are a lot of organizations that are CRMs that are built for kind of the big box pharma high-tech companies. They're great. I've been an admin of some of them, Salesforce, Dynamics, uh, you name it. I've even worked in Goldmine, right? So there are a lot of good CRMs. The problem is they have overcomplicated data structures and their sales automation is really poor. Uh, in the home service space, there are a lot of home service tools that try to be all-in-ones, but they're you know they're really good at you know quoting and operations management. And they're terrible at sales, and so we built a tool that's actually phenomenal at, at automating the sales process. And it's also designed for multi-unit businesses, so dealerships and franchise systems, and that's kind of our bread and butter. And when we talk about verticalizing, that's that's really how we we identify what we should do because it was what we were absolutely hands down the best at. So we just focused on that. For context for the listeners, could you share or what can you share about the size of Client Tether, maybe the, the number of customers or, or employees, revenue, whatever you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, sure, sure. It's a private company. We don't share tons of detail about that. But uh, as an organization, we're but yeah, we're a couple million dollars of a, of recurring revenue now. Um, we're uh, so we're still growing, uh, but uh, compared to where we were, you know, four years ago, we, we've skyrocketed, kind of hit an inflection point. Uh, about about eleven employees, twelve soon, uh, and um, yeah, about fifteen hundred business entities running their businesses off of our platform. That's so, fantastic. That's yeah. fantastic. We'll dig into that a little bit more as well. And then one more sort of contextual question is: What is your? Uh, can you tell us about your role there as the president? What do, what do you, what are your uh, responsible for? What do you what do you do? What do you focus on? Yeah, thankfully, it's it's my, the the list of responsibilities is shrinking as we grow a little bit. You guys all can probably empathize with that. Uh, I'm, I have one hat on my head, but twenty that I wear emotionally a lot. But uh, primarily in charge of now sales and marketing, uh, and and a lot of strategy. Uh, before it also was HR and all sorts of other things. But we've fortunately got people that are taking care of a lot of that stuff now. 
So let's let's talk about the verticalization of your business. Maybe take us through the the time maybe when you were coming on. At that point, had Client Tether really focused uh, the business on a specific vertical, or was it more multi-vertical at that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think we had the same conundrum every business has that creates a valuable product, right? That yeah, especially in the CRM space, everyone needs it, right? Everyone needs sales automation tools. So. Um, when I first, when I first joined, and that's, that was the, t- the, the project to tackle, which was to figure out where is our best product market fit. And the problem is, is everybody wanted it, you know, chiropractors and dentist offices and, 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 uh, home, home service companies and anybody, you know, uh, uh, colleges, people wanted to use the platform because they saw the power of the sales automation. But, um, so we really didn't have a focus. It was like what most people do. Oh, you want to give us money? Sweet. We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, which, as you uh, probably are going to drive us toward, it created a whole host of of challenges uh, that that really stymied our growth. Could you share some of those challenges that led you to ultimately decide that you need to make more of a a decision to focus? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, that's I, and and I share that because I know anyone who's listening that's running a business, you're probably hitting the same wall. So we uh, the. The challenges are that the the support process, the implementation, that has to be very different. If I'm working with, let's say, a college that's recruiting uh, recruiting students to come, uh, actually, they're enrollment advisors. I can't call them recruiters, but you know, they 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 need that. They have a very different set of needs and different set of skills, and also different IT infrastructure that you've got to support. Uh, if I'm working with a, a doctor's office, you know, that's a small you know, single single physician practice or a chiropractor, well, they've got different considerations, let's say HIPAA, that you've got to make sure you're being, you're being, you're paying attention to. There are a lot of different things. Every vertical has a, a different set of technology requirements, a different set of lead sources that are coming into the platform. And as we, as I started to evaluate the, the market, like how that was impacting the company, it became pretty obvious that it's time to stop trying to be everything to everyone because our, our dev efforts were spread so thin. We were, we were not getting very deep into what I felt were priorities, what we all as an executive team felt were our priorities, which was, you know, developing the platform, getting really good at certain things and just didn't have the time because we were spread so thin doing one-off requests to try to make it work in other spaces. What was the business impact to being spread so thin over time? Like how did that impact the company? I, I won't share the details, but uh, the, the revenue, the revenue is not where it should have been after four years of being in business. And it also impacted the team. So the development team was stressed, stressed to the max and they felt like they were not getting anywhere because they really weren't because they were really just kind of taking one-off requests as they came in rather than having a structured roadmap and a process to, to you know, build sprints and strategy and, and deploy strategically to drive additional value and revenue through the dev. Um, so, so those were, those were some of the impacts to us and, and just, uh, you know, not being able to support the platform like we wanted to. Every single account had a totally different set of needs and support questions and problems and, and technology infrastructures, which that makes it very difficult to support a platform. That makes a ton of sense. It seems like at that time it was, we have to focus on one thing. Why did you guys choose franchise? Yeah, so we, we chose, uh, and, and even in franchise, we a specific vertical, right, or a specific use case. So inside of inside of franchising, and in fact, I'll, I'll share a little of a, a metamorphosis of this too. Uh, we're extremely good at home services. So we've got proposal platforms and payment processing, QuickBooks Online, so all sorts of different tools that, that help a, a whole, you know, I say a painting company or a painting franchise top to bottom run the business. Even things like royalty reporting, which are specific to franchising, but very important. Um, so, uh, 
we decided on that because nobody does it. So all the big box CRMs, any of the, the home service tools, they're good. But the problem is the data architecture is broken. So they actually can't without, even if you spend, I've had people tell me they spent seven figures, heavy six figures trying to make a tool like Salesforce work in franchising. You can sort of cobble it together. And then you spend that kind of money, you have to have a full-time admin to try to, you know, push buttons and constantly tweak things to make sure it's working properly. Uh, if somebody sneezes on the back end, the whole thing blows up and you have data flowing into the wrong accounts and you're breaking contracts. Like, it's scary what people are doing with those tools because they think it's the best. But um, it's the best for pharma sales. It's the best for tech sales. But we realized that I was we were beating people. Like, we've, we've dislodged Salesforce, HubSpot. Like, if you look at the, the entrepreneur rankings, we outrank both of them. Uh, actually, no, HubSpot might outrank us, but yeah, you know, we have a lot of people that we transition away from HubSpot or ConfusionSoft, like these big CRMs everybody knows, <laughs> because they're not they're not a fit, and and they're really causing frustration. They're difficult to use. The data architecture is messed up. Where if I'm a home service company, a lead is a contact, it is an account, and it is an opportunity. And those other CRMs, those are four different data tables and four different tabs. And and a home service pro is like, yo, I just want to go clean a carpet. I don't want to spend 30 minutes preparing to clean a carpet by clicking buttons and, and going to different tabs and flipping switches. And that's what they get, kind of UI soup, uh, which is really difficult to run a, a service-oriented business in. That makes perfect sense, given my familiarity with that market as well. So it it seems like you were able to uncover a very clear client or customer or market problem in this kind of UI soup. They, they didn't really want a more simplicity, straightforward platform, but still built for home services. You also had a founder, Conrad, who had a background in home services and in franchising. And that those kind of stars aligned and said, well, well, we have all this, this in-house knowledge and experience. Um, we might as well focus on franchise. Is that kind of paraphrasing, but does that capture it? Oh yeah, and also market market fit. Like we had clients, like our best our best clients were in that space. Our lowest maintenance clients. We had clients that had I don't know seventy locations deployed with our software, and they were calling us with much less frequency than the single chiropractic office we worked with because of product market fit. And so yeah, that that was another indicator. Of, hey, we've got it. We got to shift here and just focus on where we've got the most revenue opportunity, the best the best differentiator. Um, because yeah, there are a whole bunch of tools that can do what we do, maybe in a specific vertical, and they don't need the multi-unit data support structure, that's fine. Then they should use those tools. How did you transition the company from a maybe a generalist to a specialist in the franchise industry? For instance, did you just fire all your non-franchise clients, or how did you approach that transition? No, no. We're, our, one of our core values is, is to, to really partner with our clients uh, and make sure we help them succeed. So, so uh, only in a couple of rare instances have we ever had that conversation. We said, look, we're not a great fit. You're, you're, you need something we're not willing to do. So I, I will recommend three other platforms you ought to give a look at. Try this one, this one, and this one. I'll introduce you to my friend who's the best HubSpot integrator in, in the Rocky Mountain area. Like have a conversation, right? So, uh, but you know, even if we were to say farewell, it's it's usually you know taking them out of our hand and putting them in someone else's. But it was more of an issue of marketing focus and sales effort and design and de and development. That we didn't talk about that before. But when you're trying to sell to everybody, your marketing budgets are a disaster. Your PPC and your SEO is a nightmare because you're not really focused. So your poor. Your poor marketing team, if you've got one, if you're big enough, they're a little schizophrenic because they feel like they're trying to write content all over the board. So that was really helpful for us being small, you know, 
We didn't have to worry about 7,000 keywords. We focused on a dozen, a 20, 30, 40, like specific words that now really aligned with what we were doing. Our PPC got very narrowed in focus. Our event count, our calendar of events we went to, it became obvious where we should spend our event dollars and budgets there. Our travel became less, less, uh, crazy, or at least the, the requirement for travel became less crazy because we were, we weren't going to the big CRM shows. We didn't care. Um, in fact, in fact, if you call me, uh, and you want to use my CRM and you're not a target client, I will probably disqualify you on the call honestly and kindly and then point you in the right direction. Uh, so it really helped us a lot, even in the sales flow. How did you begin to enter into the franchise market given this decision, the strategic decision to focus on franchise? How did you begin to build uh, relationships, build momentum within franchise? Uh, that's a great question. Well, uh, I'd also do a, yeah, I've, I've been a sales consultant for, for many years as well. The, the advice I would give people, and I took my own advice, is talk to my clients. Like, we had ideal clients. So I said, hey, where are you guys going for information? Where, what are your watering holes? What are the events we should be going to? And just kind of listen to them. We built strategic partnerships in the industry with fantastic service providers in marketing and, and finance and all sorts of other things that uh, attorneys, people that said, hey, you guys, are the right fit for this space, I'm going to refer all my clients to you because I want them to succeed. And yeah, I wrote their contracts. And why do I care about CRM? Because they need something to enforce the, the, you know, the, the rules of their, their franchise and something that's actually designed for them that won't bankrupt them. So, uh, so that was, you know, strategic partnerships was key, but then listening to the market and finding out where we should, where we belonged, where, where are the right events to go to? Where should we spend our money? And, and that, that helped a lot. How has becoming a franchise-focused software business really helped your 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 business's ability to grow? Yeah, it's it's scale. You know, all all those things that we just talked about. What it does is it isolates specific needs, and so even on the sales process, like our sales group, uh, the the way that we approach the market, our process, we use our own tools, so we create scale uh, because we have automation that's that's really easy to deploy, but. But it made it a lot easier. To, I didn't need to have 37 people trying to do one thing um, to try to capture the market. We could get very specific uh, and generate specific leads. We knew which people to partner with um, because we knew that they were the best in the industry. So, And then, then also we knew that the events to go to. So we spent our time and money at these events and didn't have to go to everything else. So being focused on the vertical made it very easy for us to start to penetrate. And so we started showing up to the conferences. Like the first real event that we went to after making that decision was um, IFA, uh, the big convention. It's actually in like a week and a half. So and not from this recording date, not from the posting date of the podcast, but it's the, it's the show where kind of everyone shows up. Not everyone, but a lot of people. So that was that was where we decided, hey, we're going to double down here, make sure we have a presence. And and frankly, the first time I went, it was also, I was a bit of a rookie. You know, Conrad, he knows the industry. He's been doing it for 27 years or something. But I had to go and talk to everyone that I could and listen and learn and figure out how they operated, what their needs were. So it was also a really good experience for me just to shut up and listen for a little while and, and make good contacts that way. I'm curious, did you have any direct experience with franchising prior to this role? Uh, every now and then I'd go buy a burger at a franchise or, you know, actually I, I didn't know a darn thing other than what I'd learned from Conrad and just being, being friends, like hearing, hearing his experience. I understood the basics about the model, but yeah, there, I'll share a funny anecdote with you. We've, we've added a little bit more focus to the platform, even within franchising because we, I, I, I lost my ignorance in, in large respect to the franchising industry and how it worked. So um, yeah, that, that was, I didn't have any clue before. Would you say that, 
franchising has an insider's language that people who are not in franchising don't use. Oh yeah, I don't, do you speak any other languages, Corey? Or uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, speak I, I speak. Okay, I speak. I speak Spanish. So uh, even though I'm fluent. People that are like, I, I can carry on a good conversation for a while, but people can always hear the flags of, oh, that's a gringo. Like you use different constructs. You describe things differently. There's specific jargon that they use, these and Zors and stuff like that. But, but the way you talk about things, like I can hear a phony in a second now, now that I'm well versed in the industry, uh, because I can write, I see, oh, they have no idea how that works. Like you can just kind of tell. The way people talk, so 100%. And I think every industry is that way. The, the translation localization industry is that way. Uh, you can spot a fake pretty fast when you've been in it for a while. Ed tech, learning and development, they're all the same. A high tech, you can easily spot a fake because they have no idea what's going on. How important is it for client tether or a business that is fo- trying to focus on a vertical to be able to authentically speak that insider language? Oh, 100%. It's so important. You, you've got... And it's because the people that people have to trust you, like trust. I'm going to write a book on this, but trust is the, is the, the commodity of the selling process, right? They have to believe one, you understand them and what their needs are. And if, if, if you're, if you can't use the right terminology and get on the same page with me about that, then I don't really trust you. I'm going to hold back and I'm not going to buy. It doesn't matter what your price is or how shiny the object is. I'm just not going to do it. So I think that's it's critical, mission critical for the marketing team and the sales team to be very well aligned around industry terminology. Now that you're focused on franchise and have been for a while, how do you attract new franchise clients? Well, we use our CRM uh, that we own. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we have we have you know target accounts that we want to work with that are ideal, but you know, we we keep tabs of them inside of the platform. You know, they have accounts. We can see who's got accounts, uh, the types of businesses. It's so it's all within our platform. Uh, an, an interesting anecdote that I want to share with you, Corey, is about a year into this this uh, verticalizing of our business, um, <clears throat> I had somebody reach out to me, <clears throat> excuse me, and said, "Hey, Dave, uh, I've been seeing your content on LinkedIn. Can I use this tool to sell franchises on the franchise development side of things?" And I said, "That's an interesting question. How does that work?" And so this lady, Janice, she's awesome, Janice Charles. So hopefully she listens because I want to give her some love. Um, so she said, well, this is how it works. And she walked me through a process. She'd been doing it for 20 years. So she was an expert. And I said, oh, well, we already have all those tools in one place. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, we do this and this and this and this. And here's our vertical pipeline. We can easily adapt this, that. I don't even have to code anything. Our platform does it. And she's like, show me. So I showed her and she's like, oh, crap. You've got, I've, I've got five tools trying to do what you guys do. And how much is it? She's like, what? You guys are undercharging. I'm like, I don't care. That's the price. So do you want it? And it was really a fun exchange. And she, you know, she, and she gave us great feedback about ways that she used the system. And, and that opened up a door for us within the franchising space. That's our fastest growing vertical now, three years later. I, we have I probably three or four, maybe five referrals a week that come through sometimes from people saying, Hey, just work with Dave. Just work with client tether. They're the best at franchise development and sales. You know, whether they're brokers or franchise organizations, we got a, you know, a large, uh, fast food organization coming to us that heard about us from a, from somebody like it's this word of mouth is starting to spread now. And that's an area we're really doing great is in franchise development that came about from a random conversation from a LinkedIn post. Isn't it interesting? The sort of the side and unintended benefits that happen when you specialize. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. You get exposed. You're in the, you're splashing around in the pool with all these people. And eventually mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see you now. And now I see that I've been missing out. But if you're not in the pool, I'm making a little bit of noise. No one's ever going to know. What type of 
um, marketing do you do for clientele? You mentioned you go to conferences and associations. I want to dig into that in a minute, but do you do typical inbound marketing, outbound marketing, any type of campaigns to drive leads? Yeah, well, here's the trick. When you get into tight niches, uh, sometimes your traditional marketing strategies don't work as well. So uh, I've, I've been in other industries. So localization, for example, is very easy. And I help them actually verticalize as well. It's another story for another day probably. But um, they, you know, there are 400 ways you can translate or different types of projects. But we help them really start to narrow their focus on learning and development content. And, and then, then that, that helped to completely change the nature of the company. Um, with client tether, but, but even there, PPC worked okay, right? Your traditional marketing worked okay. In, in, in our case, we found that, that, uh, Google PPC was pretty much a waste of money because a lot of the key terms we were using to try to hit our target market, they were so, they were generic enough that they were attracting all sorts of folks. And I was like, I don't, I don't want an elevator. A sales company using my platform necessarily. You're not a fit. Like I'm not trying to attract you, but it was, there wasn't an easy way to, to really segregate the terms enough. Uh, we still have kind of a, like a very maintenance level of pay, pay-per-click, but it's, it's almost inert. Uh, there were a couple of specific vertical channels we found that worked very well. Referral partnerships has worked best for us. I almost hate to say that, but you know, if you want to, if you want to replicate, you can in this industry. I don't, I don't mind if my competitors listen in. Uh, they should probably take note because it works very well. Uh, but the but that's probably the best in industry uh, shows referral like asking for referrals from our clients. Usually, when you talk, it's a pretty tight group of people, and so you, you often don't even have to ask them. When you fix their problems uh, brilliantly, they want to tell people about it because they're problems that are pretty ubiquitous. How big is the addressable market for client tether round numbers as far as the number of businesses that you would love to have on your platform? Oh man! So well, the, the addressable market in this this vertical we're focused on right now. Correct. You, you've got about 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 fifty five hundred franchise mm-hmm. uh, businesses out there, give or take. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them would only be franchise development clients for us. Like we don't do quick serve. There's no point in having a CRM if you're a you just need a point of sale. So, uh, but but uh, they're probably I don't know a third of that number are home service, personal care, pet care, elderly care type service concepts. And they could all desperately use us. And some of those have 500 units uh, in the United States. So, so it's, it's a little bit misleading to think, oh, 5,000, that's a pretty small market. But really, you know, that, that represents hundreds of thousands of locations that could be on our platform. Yeah, so it, it's supports, a fairly decent market. Yeah, no, I, I think that supports the comment you made, which is that traditional inbound and outbound, specifically inbound marketing, isn't the best weapon I would consider for trying to make an impact in this market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, but I want to I want to add a caveat on that because that's for us in this particular industry. What makes it difficult too is um you know traditional list development uh, organizations lead 411 uh, zoom info groups like that there is no way in any of those platforms uh, seamless AI you can't filter down to franchise folks at all. And so it's just not a filter that any of them have. And so for us, they were all useless. So your traditional outbound emailing, I'm not saying those don't work. I'm saying for me in our industry, that didn't work. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we tried it twice because I was like, ah, that didn't work, but it's, it should. I know it can work because uh, in other industries it does. But for us, it did not. Uh, but that was because there was a limit of our ability to gather proper data. Um, you know, working in the industry for a while now, we have great lookalike audiences uh, because we have great clients, client lists, and, and and lots of folks we've reached out to and have you know valid contact information, so that that helps a lot 
when you're doing your marketing, but you have to get that information first and really know your market first or else you can't even build a decent lookalike audience because they're not, they're not homogenous. You need to create a homogenous group to do that. So in those situations where you're unable to sort of buy off the shelf, a perfect set of leads or, or contact information, what did you do in that situation to build the list? Um, <clears throat> events. We went, we knew which events they were going to be at. So it's about finding the watering holes, right? You have to know uh, where, where are they going to get their information digitally or physically or who do they listen to or their podcasts? Do they, are they listening to Corey Quinn's podcast? And, and if so, can I be a guest there, right? Like you have to find the channels that they're listening to, then you have to get in those channels. And so we went to events to start. And at the events, here, the crazy thing is a lot of folks, when you go to events, they, they sit behind a table, they put like a, they put like, hey, we're giving away an iPad, like on some card. And they're like, yay, we're the best. It's, it's a scooter. Uh, and then they sit there and wait for people to come to them. Uh, that's not how you succeed at any trade show or event. And then when, when you know, the, there's that obvious part where everyone's in the classrooms, the breakouts, and then all the vendors are standing around, everybody sits down and gets on their phone and starts answering emails. I don't. I, I went around and met every single person because I wanted to meet, you know, listen to their business and find out where there were integration points. And, and that some of our best partners have come from me chatting with some stranger on an escalator at a conference or me walking around and meeting them and genuinely being interested in hearing what they have to offer. Because uh, when, you're, when you're really trying to build up expertise in an industry, one of the best things you can do is when you talk to someone who's not a good fit, walk them to someone who is. And so when I talk to people, clients or otherwise, I'll sometimes end up introducing them to two or three different experts in marketing or in technology management or something else. And I want to know who the experts actually are so I can have good, a good rapport with them uh, because they'll also move. You know, they'll change jobs in two or three years. And then they'll say, I need to talk to Dave because I need that sales automation platform stat. And then um, they've left a good impression because I, I introduced them to somebody who could help them at that time. How important is it for Client Tether to be associated with IFA, in this case for Franchise, which is the big association, to go to the conferences? How important is that for your business development? It's important. I, a lot of people want to put a lot more value on like, the, if you're not there, nobody knows you exist. That's not necessarily true once you've got a foothold in the industry. But if I didn't show up, I'd have a lot of people calling me and texting me saying, hey, everything okay? Where's client tether? So, so there's a little bit of value to the presence play, but it's really important because that's where everybody is and the energy it requires to get access to the people. Like I, I bumped into, funny story, like I was new and ignorant my first show. I literally bumped into a guy who's like the grandfather of the franchising industry. He's like super influential, really nice guy, lovely family. Like I really like – he and his wife are awesome, the Fishmans, the Fishman PR. I bumped into him walking to the bathroom in this this bar where I was hanging out with some people before the show started the next day. And I was like, oh, so sorry. Uh, and he goes, yes, 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 no worries. Nice to meet you, Brad Fishman. And he leans back because he, like, he knows he's who he is and I didn't. And I was like, oh, nice to meet you. Oh, and I'd met his son at an event right before this one. I was like, oh, you're Zach's dad. And he was like, what? What the hell? Zach's dad? And he walked <laughs> off. And I was like, oh, no. Like, I've just, just pissed this guy off. His wife comes over at later, Sherry, and she's like, she's crying, laughing, and she gives me a hug. And she's like, he's still over there. Like, his whole world just came crumbling down. They're, they're friends now. Like, it's really funny. But, but I, I, if you tried to call Brad or Sherry Fishman to get an appointment to try to tell them about how awesome your services were, they're so freaking busy. They're nice people. But they don't have time for that stuff. So, but I bumped into him and then gave his wife a hug and and got to know the family at this at this bar at an event. Like that's priceless stuff, and you can't undervalue that. 
And, and that's what you've got to do is find out, you know, who are the players in the industry and, and figure out like, you know, Jordan Wilson, for example, mm-hmm. you know, Jordan real well. Mm-hmm. Great guy, really influential. And, you know, I met him at the same event. And then later on, Gabriella Ferrara and, and the team and have bumped into them at all the events. But you start to build kind of a fraternity of people who know what they're talking about when you do that. So even suppliers will refer you to their, their clients because they know you can solve their problems and starts to create a real web of value in, 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 a, in an ecosystem where you really want to have influence. So it's fair to say that you, it's much more difficult to build that network and build those relationships if you're not going to these conferences and having these shared experiences. Oh, you're going to have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on marketing to build brand and awareness on cold call dialers. And the reality is a lot of people don't want to talk to someone on the phone right now. And they, you know, they don't want to answer their email. They get everyone sending email, right? That's, that's such an overplayed uh, marketing process. It's important. It's important to do. It's an also, also ran idea, but, but you really want to get to the right person. You're going to do it at these events a lot faster with a lot less expense, especially when you're small. I don't have time to fly to Atlanta and then DC and then Chicago and, and sit down with one person at a time. I'd rather bump into them at the event and build a real relationship and then have context to call them afterward. It just accelerates the whole sales process. Some people call word of mouth the holy grail of marketing. How do you define word of mouth? Hmm. Well, that's like a, a softball question. I wrote my master's thesis about this. So, um, yeah, ooh, better be a good freaking answer now, right? Um, the uh, word of mouth is, is, I think it comes in a couple of channels, but it's really when you're having a conversation with somebody, either physically or even digitally, and somebody says that, that they trust because you're in their inner circle, they say, look, you have that problem. You should look at this solution. Uh, that happens for us a lot in social media. It also happens a lot in, in person, uh, or over Zoom or over phone calls, right? So building, uh, the trust with the, the influencers in the industry, that's, that's really how you build scalable word of mouth marketing is find the influencers who align with your services and then make sure that they're, they're, uh, they understand who you are. They get to know you. They trust you. And there's mutual value in them referring their clients to you. That's, that's one channel. Another one is just having clients who love you and, and you have to kind of prime the pump with them. You have to let them know, Hey, people that work with us, they like to, they like to tell people how much they referred to, how much they love working with us. How did you hear about us? That's right. Bob told you about us. So if we give you great experience, don't hesitate to tell people about us. We can help solve their problems too. And now you mobilize your, your, your love group, right? Your customers should love you. If, if that, if you're not doing that, that's, that's step one. You will not build a word of mouth program that's successful if you're not giving people an experience that is unforgettable in a good way. Uh, your negative word of mouth, if you give them a, an unforgettable experience in a bad way, will be much more powerful than your positive word of mouth. So that's key. You got to you got to deliver an incredible experience, and then people uh, people tend to talk about it. And then giving them cues so that they remember to do it. We have we use our own system to remind people and nurture them, ask them for referrals here and there, and um, and as we do that. Often, you know, a month or two later, we'll get a referral because they thought, oh, yeah, I should introduce Steve to Dave. What role does word of mouth play in your current ability to grow? Does it generate majority leads, some leads, some revenue, a lot of the revenue? Like how important is it for you today? Strategic business partnerships have have driven a lot of revenue to us. Um, I would say it's key. Uh, it's key. It's probably the best clients that we've gotten. Most of them have come from from referrals, and the fastest sales cycles that we have have come through referrals, 
the least maintenance clients have come to us from referrals. So I think the, the, that's a key channel that I think we've done a, a, we've done a good job developing here. And, um, and it, and it's, it's critical for our success. I would say at least the majority, probably just a little over 50% or more of our leads come from referral sources now. That's fantastic. Truly fantastic. We've been talking a lot about the positives of verticalizing. What are some negatives? Okay, I'll tell you one. Uh, we, we originally, we were looking at maybe getting some growth capitals. We started to hit an inflection point. We said, hey, this is a great opportunity. Let's go and let's have somebody capitalize us. We, well, we have a very clean cap table, so let's grow this baby. And I found, because we had verticalized, that a lot of the folks said, ah, you're, you're Sam's off, you're Tam's off, you're total addressable market. There's no way that you guys can turn out the type of revenue and the returns that we're hoping for. And we said, nah, you're wrong. You don't see the market the same way we do. But they're like, we're investors. Trust us. So uh, we said, fine, screw you guys. We'll just become profitable and never have to worry about you again, which is what we did. Um, but, but it did actually limit our ability to go get capital by, by, over, by getting very, very focused in this particular vertical. So I'd say it's one of the only negatives that I could really say. If, if you pick the wrong one, though, let's say you picked the wrong one. Or <laughs> uh, as an example, let's say you picked um, oh a vertical that's going to start to die off as the economy takes a little bit of a turn. So something like, let's say, a, like, a, a, like a bougie personal treatment type thing. All that stuff's going to start to slide a little bit. Um, or let's say you pick a vertical like um, HR. Uh, or vert- like learning and development, internal, internal. Oh, it's a great one. Internal promotional or reward systems. What's the first thing that gets cut as soon as the economy takes a slap? That. So if you're focused on that particular vertical and you see a bit of tough headwinds, you're going to have a bumpy road for a little while. But but don't be afraid because you can earn market share. That's what people forget. Even though it's a tough vertical, it might get impacted by by a, you know a downturn in the economy. Your, your competitors are going to stop investing. So even so, it's still great. You keep investing. You keep marketing. You keep going to events. And when you get out of the headwinds, you're going to have eaten up three times the market share you could have in a good economy. So it's still good. It's just oh, no, that I it lo- could be tough. I love that contrarian perspective. That's awesome, Dave. Um, was there any point along the way where you thought verticalizing was not the right choice for the business Um, no, I, 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 I didn't after, like, it was clear we needed to. And then after we did the clear rewards were coming through. So, uh, we picked well and, uh, and, and truly, you know, following Jim Collins, like the advice, what are we better than everybody else in the world? As long as you're following his advice on that, on that particular decision as you're verticalizing, I don't think you'll, you'll regret it. If, if you do regret it, you got to check your strategy and make sure that you're following, you're actually truly verticalizing as, as you committed. Because a lot of people, they'll say we're verticalizing, but then they're like, well, we'll keep taking that and this and that. So I, I think because we were pretty disciplined, it's really been a great, a great benefit to us. What would you say to someone who's maybe listening to us right now, who is in a business that has maybe flatlined, is struggling with keeping customers happy, keeping them retained, uh, their cost per acquisition is really high, maybe because their, their marketing is very generalized. What would you, what would you, what would be your advice to them regarding verticalizing the business? Uh, the first thing I'd say is you need to call my friend Corey Quinn, uh, because he's an expert at this. So talk to the man who knows this stuff. Uh, and then the second thing I would say would be, uh, who is your best customer? Like who is your lowest maintenance, highest revenue, highest margin customer? Show me the top 10. What's similar about these 10 people? 
and and and, so, and sometimes you just have to let the the numbers speak for themselves. Now they might not all be in the same industry, but you're going to notice a trend, and, and that's what you have to find is the pattern. So if you see the pattern, you say, you know, it's funny they're not all the same, but they all have the same need that we solved. Like what's that? Well, they, we solve this need. Okay. Now, where can you find a group of people who have that need very consistently? Oh, well, these two or three places, beautiful. That maybe you didn't verticalize in one specific super tight niche like I did and we did. That's fine. But you vertic, you can verticalize around a specific target of, of pain points that you can address in a market. So maybe you don't go after just chiropractors. You go after chiropractics and dentists and physicians because it's a terrible example, but you know what I'm trying to get at here yeah. because they all have the same need. They need to engage with their patients. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so in other words, you're, you're, you're focusing your business around being the best in the world at solving a specific problem. Right. For a specific yeah. audience. Yeah. Last question, Dave, what is your motivation? Man. Well, I've, I, I'm still fairly young. Uh, my motivation is I, I really want to build this organization uh, the company I want, I want to sell. I mean, I, I'm a sales consultant, right? Like at heart and, and every day I'm fixing people's problems, like in a massive way. I mean, across 120 locations, I'm fixing people's problems and systematizing things that are helping Joe Blow, terrible operator, truly succeed at his business and pay his bills on his own, be his own boss successfully. Like it's, it's truly rewarding to see the outcomes of what I get to do here in a way that's, I, and I don't mean that to sound chintzy or like I wasn't rehearsed, but like I, I really love what I do. It's like I was born to help people fix their crap when it comes to businesses and sell strategies. So I just happen to be in a position where I do it for a living. So I, I'm really enjoying what we do and seeing the company grow, you know, knowing the number of people that we employ that are all paying their bills uh, because the company's succeeding. Like I, that sort of stuff keeps me very happy with what I'm doing. That's fantastic. Dave, this has been so much fun. I think it's been a ton of value for me as you know, being on the other side of the microphone here, as well as I'm sure for our listeners as well. Thank you so much for joining, Dave. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Corey. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market podcast. Please hit subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show and received some value from it, I would love it if you would give me and this show a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you next time.